You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Uh, this is The Magnet Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Lewis Kornfeld, and today I'm talking with the legendary Frank Spitznagel. Uh, um... Frank has been described by Time Out New York as one of the linchpins of New York City comedy. Uh, when it comes to musical improvisation, he is the man, the legendary, uh, uh, brilliant pianist. Frank, thank you for talking today. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, have, has musical theater been a part of your life for as far back as you can remember? I've done at least 60 shows yeah. and thousands of performances. You know, I, I, uh, on my resume, I have from Annie to Zorba, so. You studied at the Boston Conservatory? I did. Um, uh, what did you study specifically when you were there? I studied piano performance, so, yeah. you know, going after uh, concert piano work and stuff like that. But they had a uh, music, theater, music theater department, which I was interested in because I had a girlfriend in it, so huh. there you go. Is that what got you started, or did you have an interest in musical theater before that? Not really. I, uh, you know, I went to school strictly to play piano and to play, you know, Bach and Mozart and yeah. Beethoven, and uh, uh, it just, you know, it opened my mind when I saw music theater, and then when I got to play it, it was really cool. So, what was it about it that kind of opened you up to it? What was the what won you to it? Um, I never played for singers. Uh, who sang in English? I, you know, I did mostly classical stuff, mm -hmm. and just yeah, playing in English was like really cool. They're actually saying something, yeah, you know, which I should have known before that, but I never took the time. So, <laughs> in general, like apart from the realm of improv, because um, I'm really curious about musical theater. It's something that I personally have a little bit of of a love hate relationship with. In mm -hmm. all honesty, there's aspects of it that that are really personally affecting and then there's aspects of it that I, I just kind of feel it's like I'm, I'm embarrassed about this like uh, um, yeah there's a conceit you have to follow there, for sure yeah. for sure uh, um, what in your mind is wonderful with musical theater like where 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 does the pleasure for you come from um, I like the the natural stuff the more Sondheim that uh you know, says exactly what you're thinking or, you know, and, and I love the old stuff too, which is like, uh, which you'd be, you know, I always hear this in improv, don't play coy, don't play coy, but mm -hmm. in music theater, you can do that. Yeah. You know, what if this would happen? Oh, what would that be like? And then you, you go into a dream world and then you come out of it yeah. into reality. So, you know, I, I like having the, uh, uh, just a, the, the option to do that. Yeah. It's um, like one of the few places where, where things that are sort of genuinely theatrical and genuinely larger than life can still happen. Like uh, um, there's still like, you know, if you look at Shakespeare and the way that Shakespeare is able to have soliloquies come out and, and have a character come and directly let you into their mind, that's something that audiences for for non-musical theater, improv scripted or otherwise, that can be a little bit artificial. We're not used to that degree of artificiality anymore. I mm -hmm. guess through movies and TV, it's just kind of conditioned that to seem really fake. Mm -hmm. Musical theater is a place where... where 
not only does that work, but you still get to enjoy the pleasures that like a real theatrical experience can bring to you. Which I think it's something that a lot of people don't don't get to um, have a lot of that in their life. Yeah, I see a lot of uh, uh, shows still do that. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, movies do too. Yeah, you know they have the that moment where they're you know they're on the couch and there's their shaky camera and they're just saying something about the scene that just went on or yeah. whatever yeah uh yeah i know um sitcoms do it too modern family does that all the time mm-hmm. and uh oh sure with like the confessional the confessional kind mm-hmm. of thing yeah yeah uh um uh, so, so you started getting into musical improv because of a girlfriend at Boston Conservatory. Uh, not musical improv, musical musical theater. theater. Yeah, musical theater. Uh, um, how long were you doing it before you? Was your first improv experience with Chicago City Limits? It was. Uh, yeah, my my wife uh, found an. I, I used to tour doing musical uh, theater a lot, and yeah. I just got tired of it. Just recently married, so my wife found the ad. Uh, to go audition for Chicago City Limits, and I did, and there was like 50 of us, and uh, I had no experience with improv, but, you know, I just kind of felt it as I went along. And uh, I, I later saw my, uh, the audition sheet, you know, they said, oh, he plays piano really well, but, the, you know, new to improv, and they hired me, so... You just kind of went along. That it, Were you... Was that scary for you, or were you just automatically kind of open and prepared to be like, okay? Well, yeah, having done that many shows, I know what it takes in a scene to start a song and things like that. Um, Even and even underscoring, you know, that helped too, uh, because they didn't only do like musical theater stuff. They did, uh, you know, short form Chicago City Limits, short form, medium form, I guess. Mm And uh, you had to underscore scenes and to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm not making a joke. If they're doing a, you know, a love scene, I don't go da 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 Right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you you try to follow along with what's going in this, on the scene. So I just, I naturally knew how to do that. What are the cues that you look for to go into a song? Um, well, yeah, also what we teach here is, you know, I, I want... I want something that's uh, the song after the opening is usually uh, you usually find out who the hero is or who who we're going to follow in the show, um, and they want something. So it's really as simple as that. Yeah. Um, depends on who I play for too. Uh, you know, I played for people from Chicago, and they just will do a. Um, like you know a joke or something like that and then it's like oh, okay uh i'm gonna list the elements boom 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 we list the elements and we're done yeah so you know it's funny too the audience loves it but that's just a different style yeah uh, one of the things that drives me crazy is um when people are playing their scenes uh as if they're comedy scenes i think that yeah, me too because it's already comedy and because it's already so exaggerated and, yep. and and so absurd and because you have that heightened theatricality of music to support it uh the less you treat it like comedy the better for everybody and uh, the, the more what's already funny just gets to stand out and 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 kind of do its business and get on with it i i wish so too and and this goes out to the magnet i i never 
I don't think I've ever said this. <clears throat> I'd rather people, uh, before they take music improv, to take a, a few improv courses because yeah. it, it gives you a, a certain way of playing, gives you, a, a, again, a philosophy. I just can't think of a better word than that. Uh of how to deal with things. So we've had people in music uh, uh, improv classes. This is, you know, how, how little they they came in with. Uh, we did a scene and they said, you got to edit it. You know, you just run across the stage and edit it. And said, well, why you got to do that? Because mm-hmm. the scene's over. They just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if you're dealing with that, it's hard to get into the music aspect of sure. it. Yeah. So, yeah, they have to know a little something beforehand. Yeah, basic technical skills, but also just what makes a scene work, what makes right. a scene a good scene and not just a funny scene. Right, and, you know, all you guys do that so well here. When when they come, uh, when people come into music improv having taken uh, a level or two, yeah. I like, they, they get it. Yeah. They know what it's about. Yeah. Well, because, so the best songs come out of knowing someone's point of view the best song is coming out of knowing mm-hmm. what's driving a character yeah right? yeah so the more you're committing yourself to really getting into this person's skin and to really meaning what you say and that to me is the big problem when people play it as comedy is yeah. they just don't mean anything that they're saying it's just looking for for cuteness it's, yeah it's really listening to the audience oh they uh they laugh yeah so that's what i'm gonna you know, push the button, push the button again for, yeah. uh, to try to do that more. Um, gotta say, I hear piano players do that all the time too. How, how's that? Um, they, you know, in a scene, they, they try not to let a scene go for more than 30 seconds, which is like, no, this is not a time limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the minute they hear a laugh, they start to play uh-huh. and want that song to happen. Uh-huh. It's like, well, you know, it, it could have been something that was out of left field. Yeah. that got the laugh, that that kind of laugh, yeah. just a, an incongruous uh, something to the scene, um, and then you're stuck in that song. So we have to kind of develop an ear for the kind of laugh that you're getting because there are some laughs Absolutely, that, that yeah. clue you in and let you know that there's a game there to explore, or or you, when the audience lets you know that you just landed on your character and it's just like okay, more. Do more of yes. that. Do more oh, of that. Yeah, yeah. But then there's the misleading ones where you have to kind of recognize from the tone of it that okay, something funny just happened, but that's not the scene. That's not what we're doing right now. Yeah. You can't be seduced by that and now orient yourself towards towards mm-hmm. trying to get that laugh again. And I guess that that's something that just comes with experience. It does uh, and discipline. Yeah, my favorite scenes uh, are the ones that you know. Usually, you say something your first one or two, three lines tops is what your scene is about. Mm-hmm. And then people tend to like, you know, go off into left field and go find something else and then funny things. And then, Oh, now there's a, there's a different conflict going on and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. My favorite scenes is when you find that one or two, three lines tops, um, you know, go on with the scene. And then when it comes back to that, I will just play the piano. Yeah. Because that, that's what the scene is. And yeah. I was like, oh, it was, you know, it was the relationship you talked about in the very beginning. Yeah. That's what you're going to sing about. Yeah. And that's the best song. What in your mind would be, what's the best possible thing for you to hear come out of someone's mouth? What's something that is so defining of what the scene is about that you just instantly know we could do a whole show exploring this person now? Um, yeah, but yeah, I, you know, going back to I want. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, again, they, they always say, 
you know, and I don't want that pencil that's on the table because you can just walk over and get it. Uh, thank you, Ryan Duncan. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have to want something that, that you know, in the next scene is, is going to be a, a challenge to do or, or something that, you know, you're rooting for the person to get. Yeah. Have you ever read um, uh, Jeffrey Sweet's book uh, on playwriting? The uh, Dramatist Toolkit, I think, is the book. He wrote a couple, I think, that, that's the one. Oh, no. No, I don't know that. It's a really good book. Uh, um, he has a chapter on musical theater in that that I, I find really interesting. And the handful of times that I've coached uh, musical teams, yeah. uh, I've lifted quite a bit from him. And one of his ideas is um, that oftentimes in really good musicals, People will sing against what they really want. They'll mm-hmm. sing against what they mean. So they'll be in denial of their true feelings. And mm-hmm. the song will be almost trying to convince themselves that they feel one particular way or think one particular thing. Mm. When, in fact, the arc of the show is them kind of coming to realize how they really feel or what they really want. Right. And then there's a there's a great thing called a change song. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, this is not what I really wanted at all. Yeah. Yeah. I have a joke sometimes uh, when I'm coaching that if you're lost in a show and don't know what to do, just sing a Who Am I song where you ask of yourself. And even though it's a joking note, it seems to work Mm -hmm. more often than it doesn't work. Why? Why? Explain to me, Frank, why that (laughs) is the truth. Who am I? Well, that's one of those things in music theater that happens a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, God, I don't know. It's it's just been around for so long. I guess it just works. Yeah, you know, like like musical structure has too. Yeah, it's been around for so long. You're just hardwired to to respond to that. Yeah. Well, do you think that it has anything to do with the history, like the roots of where musical theater grew out of? Because it 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 so much of of early kind of what we think of like classic Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Uh, a lot of it has to do with sort of like mythologizing this, like an American identity. And a lot of it has to do with looking at sort of uh, uh, the group and then the individual's place within that group. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, what the chorus sort of establishes is the group ideology, mm-hmm. like Fiddler on the Roof with like tradition at the beginning right. where we have this is the world. Yeah. And then people's individual needs kind of in conflict with that world. And, and so it seems like a lot at the root of musical theater just as a phenomena has to do with with your identity and exploring who you are in relationship to to these bigger pictures. Mm-hmm. Is that I, I don't know. I'm so curious because I don't know a lot about it and I'd be happy to go into my feelings about it. But but uh, uh, like, is that. Is there no, a truth defi- to that? Yes, definitely you can do that. Uh, you know, company is about Bobby and all of his relationships yeah. with different people. Um, you know, Assassins is many, many different shows. It's like a theme show. Mm-hmm. It's about different assassins and their relationships with their victims and with their, uh, you know, cohorts and yeah. stuff like that. It's it's just amazing. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and going back to the scene, that's what makes a scene better is when you do have a relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and not uh, not just two people joking around. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, what are some shows that have really left an impression on you? Like, what are the ones that you look up to and, and feel really passionately about? Um. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, Sweeney Todd again. Uh, you know, I, I saw, um, uh, what's it, Matt Parker and, 
Oh, uh, Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon. I'm yeah. getting old. I don't remember things. <laughs> uh, Book of Mormon is just, it's an incredible, for, for a new musical, it's yeah. just, just amazing. Yeah. Uh, Those guys really seem to kind of get the musical format, don't they? They really do. They really have And they, a, they got a personal letter from Sondheim saying, hey, good job, guys. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's got to be. Before, really I think it was before that, it was for... Uh, the American, what was that? Oh, Team the, America. Team, yeah, yeah, Team America. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think they got a personal letter from Sondheim. Well, the so. South Park movie too is also a great uh, musical. It's great. It, it and there's a clear love for musical there too. With yeah. It it it. They're not just parodying it. They're genuinely creating new musicals that I think, in a way, almost go to sort of that classic. A, a American musical tradition of high spirits and 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 smart comedy to it. it. It part of it is making fun of things, but there's they're doing like genuine straight up musicals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they work hard on it. You know, yeah. I I know some people who are in it, and they say, oh, we're still in previews, and you know, they change things every day and all that, but uh, change things for the better. Uh, and there's uh, what what gets me too is they're they're so uh, religious to song structure. Yeah. And people always ask me, do we really have to do this? And I was like, well, you know, you paid for a class. Um, and I've been in classes where the teacher says, all right, you know, now we've done it. So don't worry about it. You don't ever have to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, then you just wasted your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that they do this in Megawatt all the time, but a lot of people do. They sing, they make a song structure, and it's just so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Even to people in the audience who are taking classes, they're like, oh my God, I got what that was. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Can um, you, for anyone who might be listening to this who's maybe curious about getting involved with musical and probably doesn't know a ton about it, mm-hmm. can you walk us through a couple of different structures and sort of explain the gifts that they offer to someone as they're, as they're creating material? Sure. Uh, the opening number is uh, is a chorus, which is you know what they say is a thesis statement. Uh, I would I would say it's more thesis is more of a general statement, right? This, mm-hmm. I think it needs to be uh, universal. Um, and uh, set up the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, when you say universal, what do you mean? Like it just sort of. Uh, uh, we we say no I statements or anything like that, got it. like so an us or something like, that you know, like a we or a, you know you that kind of got you. it, got it. Uh, you know, and then uh, even uh, so, you have a, a chorus, and then everybody sings the chorus. Just that's like a flashy thing, you know. It sounds cool. Uh, then they do a, a one person sings a verse again, no eyes. Uh, just again, filling out the world, you know, it, describing things, whatever. And uh, we then there's a, another chorus just to pound that in. Uh, another verse usually, and then uh, and then a bridge is like a different viewpoint or an expanded viewpoint of what's what's been going on. And then another chorus. Uh, so you know that that's a great way to open. Uh, people are like, oh my god, I gotta hear, listen, listen to another opening number. It's kind of important to do it, mm-hmm. you know. It's, some people do it really well. Uh, we have again the, the, some of the megawatt teams doing so amazing choruses, and I, 
I always think these are disposable because it's improv, but I still remember some from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, things like, uh, now, if you do a movie like Sweeney Todd, they didn't use the opening number. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to. Mm-hmm. They they did a, an aerial view of whatever, 1800s London. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nope. They just played the music. That's all you needed. You didn't need to, to say to describe the environment. Mm-hmm. It was being done with a camera, and it was really cool. Yeah. And everybody said, oh, how come they didn't use the, uh, the opening? I was like, no, you don't have to. Yeah. It's not on a stage. You're doing yeah. it with a camera, so... Uh, so that's what that is. That's in play in place of that, you know. And then your your opening song after that is uh, usually it could be bringing out characters or it could be um, defining your hero or your your protagonist, and uh, and then you just follow along from there. Mm-hmm. You know, antagonism. That's a that's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. It could be a person, it could be a group of people, it could be society, it mm-hmm. could be anything. Mm-hmm. But it's so, all based in being super clear about yeah, what's driving a character. Yeah, from there it diverges, are. but it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah you, you're right, it has to be very clear. So with the better groups that you work with, what strategies do you see them taking to uh, tell a good story? Once they make it clear what a character needs, how are they, how are they moving that forward? And, and and maybe with the group that's struggling with that, what are some of the pitfalls that you notice in people kind of losing a story or, or not having it really kind of congeal? Um, I, I think this has to do with, with improv, too. It's just not listening to one another, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I don't know. Um, or not listening to one another, but and also having uh, an agenda. Mm-hmm. Which, again, goes back to not listening. You know, you're not listening to that person, but they're talking while you're coming up with your own agenda for something. And right. then you didn't even hear what they said and then say your agenda. Yeah. Uh, and then if that happens once, you can kind of forgive it. If it happens like, you know, five or six times with every teammate, then it's like, okay, now nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. And you got nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just... I hate to use yes and, but it's so important. Uh, just to, you know, acknowledging what somebody says yeah. and uh, and and building on it. Yeah, that's all. Well, is there also the added extra thing when you're improvising? Of uh, sometimes people in a scene may not even be aware uh, who that scene is about. Sometimes people, you can have three people in a scene, and to the audience, it's really clear that this person has the highest stakes involved this person really yeah. has the drive but the other two people in the scene can also think that it's about them and then you end up having it be pulled in multiple directions again not listening yeah, yeah. I, and if i hear somebody say you know th- this is my my deal and i start to play i'm like that's where the song is yeah and then some you know off times it, uh, with new teams it doesn't happen that way yeah they just you know you got to get out there and sing you know yeah. there's oh my god frank's playing so what are we going to do right which it, it it it's actually such a wonderful gift for them because as an improviser you're being supported and backed up by by you on the keyboard with a lifetime of experience of how good shows are supposed to be going. So when they hear those cues, that's really letting them know you're you're teaching people musically how to tell a good story. I hope so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so if people are, are like um, anxious to sort of drop the structures of the songs, what are they doing in place of those structures? Uh, different things. Uh, some people are really good musicians and they can do that. Yeah. And I follow along with them and I was like, you're still telling a story. It's just, you know, maybe a little wonky here and there. Yeah. Um, and other people just tend to ramble on because they don't have a, a tent pole to go mm-hmm. back to or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Do you try to rein them in musically or, or to, do you try to help them along and give them kind of clues as to oh. the structure? You know, I, I sound like a subtle person in real life, but I am not as a musician. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, uh, I give a lot of, you know, to, or, you know, uh, uh, I'm vamping along and nobody's singing. I go, bum, 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 bum. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I just give something as, as uh, unsubtle as I can. Yeah. So I want to uh, go back for a second to um, the earlier years before you got involved into musical improv. So you were touring the country with um, uh, Broadway shows. Yeah. Chorus Line, Line Peter yeah. Pan, uh, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, what else? Yeah, and, and a bunch of uh, uh, like shows that were written, like 40 shows. I used to tour with uh, 40s. Uh, yeah, I don't know, review shows, kind of things like that. Like, um, sort of like, like a, like 42nd Street or something like that? Or, uh, no, not, uh, actually put together shows. Oh, like, okay. you know, we, we'd have a Judy Garland character. And, oh, uh, I and see. A Bob, uh, you know, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby kind of thing going on. Yeah. And sing the songs that they would sing. Yeah. And, and it's a put together show, like a stage door canteen yeah, or whatever. Yeah. What's, because one thing, uh, uh, if you don't know Frank listening to this, uh, um, not only are you one of the coolest guys around, uh, but there's, there's sort of like an air of mystery to you. And you're also one of these guys who like, you've, you've lived the artist's life. You've really, I mean, you've lived the creative life and gotten to do all these wonderful things. So like, uh, um, what is life on the road? Like I'm very lucky that way. Uh, life on the road is okay. Especially if you've been on it a while. Yeah. Uh, when you're music director, you get your own room, so that's the best. Good deal. Yeah. Uh, when you're not, you know, I've stayed with, uh, you know, bass players and trombone players and stuff like that. Oh, they're mostly musicians, so that's good. Because we're, you know, we're all weird together. Yeah. Um, you know, life on the road is is pretty good. <laughs> I don't think I ever cleaned a hotel room. You know, they can come after me if you like, but I would just. <laughs> Get in there. If we're in there a week, I just put the do not disturb sign and just have a ball. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and go play. You know, I did uh, uh, cruise ships and stuff like that, which you've done. Mm-hmm. You know, I did one, uh, started out in Greece and went to North Africa and the Corinth Canal and all that business. It was really cool. Uh, best part of that was coming back. Uh, yeah, well, let me say, I was um, a rehearsal conductor on it. So I made as you know as much or not more than other people, and uh, I worked once in eight days. Wow! And it was a it was a one month cruise. It was like you know, fancy fancy cruise, Royal Cruise Lines. And um, so there was that. 
and then the bass player missed the boat, so I played bass too, and I ended up playing in the band, and we had to play Greek music, which is all weird time signatures and stuff like that, so I had fun doing that. Uh, then we came across the South Atlantic, or not, but near the equator, not, maybe not South Atlantic, but close to it, and it was uh, 25 hour days, so you live you know, five or six days as a, at a 25-hour day, which was so cool. Uh, you know, because you, you travel, without, you travel sure. into a new time zone every, yeah. every day, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that was cool. And then we did, uh, you know, Martinique and St. John and, you know, all the islands down there, Puerto Rico. That was just great. What's This is probably a really stupid question or maybe a little too broad, but... Is there like a favorite part of that life for you? Is it, is it, do you just love getting to play? Is it that you, is the freedom, uh, is the travel, like seeing, getting to see the world? Or is it just sort of like a jumble of all these things leading into just like a great way to be living your life? Uh, there was a show there. This guy heard me rehearse with the group and you know, there was a piano player on board, but he heard me rehearsing. He says, Oh, I bet you could do my show, which was so totally improv. Mm. Uh, improv and then like knowing tunes he ended with uh, we did uh, White Christmas which was uh, in the islands mm -hmm. which is so weird to hear and, and perform uh, but I did kind of improv with him before I knew what it was and, uh, and I was like oh I can do this yeah um, and they, the other piano player was like oh you know let me play the next show and uh, I said oh sure fine uh, but the guy said no 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 I want Frank and I was like oh cool all right. Because uh, that's what happens all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I see people and they come and say, oh, you did a great job. Oh, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I do. I teach classes in it. Yeah. In uh, how to teach a piano player how to do that. Yeah. Uh, some of them do. Some of them do very well. And yeah. some of them, not so much. Is that something so. that just came very naturally to you and you felt an instant sense of kind of ease with it? Uh, um, like, do, do is it easy for classically trained musicians in general to be able to open themselves up to, to just sort of go with the improv? Or do some people sort of struggle? It depends on how they were trained. I mean, I was trained in uh, in form and analysis, which is learning the structure of music. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, uh, you can just sit there and make up a song. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of classically trained people who are really, really good at it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I want to see them do that. But yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're into their classical stuff. Yeah. Uh, what happened with me is I was thrown into it, like on the cruise ship. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no... You know, oh, am I going to do this or not? I was like, no, you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is sort of, in a way, the best way to do it. To just have absolutely, to do it. yeah. You yeah, don't have time no, to second guess yeah, yourself. Yeah, there's no second guessing. There's no uh, getting in your own way or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, is that also like... Um, and please excuse me for being so ignorant on this stuff, but... God, not at all. You know so much. Uh, no, I, I... No, thank you. Uh, um... Uh, there are in in certain like classical pieces. Uh, what do you call it when there are parts of the piece that are then open for for the pianist interpretation? Like are, there are oh, like, in a cadenza, like a, a, yeah. a, a concerto or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you're allowed to kind of freely express yourself around the theme of the piece. Right, right. Uh, in theory. In theory. In theory, there are written and stylized cadenzas that are just 
those are the ones you play. The composer wrote a concerto, but he also wrote a cadenza, a cadenza too, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the composer wrote it, so it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen people trying to do little different things. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they take what the composer did and just, you know, you're taking themes and, and expanding on them. Yeah. Uh, nobody did it like Beethoven, and mm-hmm. Beethoven, I, I could be wrong, but you know, maybe Mozart, who was before Beethoven, wrote out cadenzas, mm-hmm. so it wasn't improv anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? They were supposed to be brilliant improvisers, though, in, in they live were. performance. Oh, they all were. Yeah, they, uh, you know, and, and some of the written ones are ones that they improvised in a performance and yeah. just wrote down. So yeah, it's like it's not going to get any better than that. Uh, but I would love to try, you know, as an improviser, you kind of want to go, Oh, how would I do that? Yeah. What changed? Uh, I'm curious going from 18th and early 19th century where all of the guys who we think of as being the great composers were also great improvisers and great mm-hmm. live performers. What changed, uh, 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 to the point where we got to the 20th century where, People were generally speaking not improvising anymore and, and going through composition. Yeah. It was a it was a gradual change. Uh, back in in box time, uh, so much was improvised. They they had uh, what's called a continuo, which is just numbers under a bass line. So you had to fill in your own chords, and it's like having a lead sheet today. Mm-hmm. Fill in your own chords and do your own little uh, uh, counterpoint and stuff like that. But everybody studied it so much. And as time went on, through Mozart and Haydn and Beethoven and, you know, then the romantic Chopin and everything, uh, they wrote everything out and they put more markings in. It's like, you got to play soft here, you got to do loud here. You just didn't have that in early music. Mm-hmm. And it just, it became more of like the composer going, this is how I want it to be played. Was that because things changed in the publication of sheet music or, or was it what happened when these guys sort of became the canonical great composers and then you sort of, you don't mess with the greats. You don't, it's like sacrilegious to mess with great composers. Um, I don't think so much that, but the education wasn't as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, if you had certain phrases, you knew how they went because they were, were, were the composers around to say, you know, this is how you have to phrase it. This is how you have to breathe with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't do that. Yeah. So that's when they started writing in all the uh, markings. And, yeah. You know, take a breath here and, and, you know, hold this note longer, make this one louder than this one and so forth. Uh, yeah, I don't think they just didn't trust the performers as much anymore. Yeah as time went on and now today everything is written out yeah uh for classical exactly the way you do it and uh, strangely enough for other music you can get lead sheets and yeah um if if it's a show you st- if you get a lead sheet you still have to have heard the original to know how it goes because mm-hmm. lead sheets don't give you that mm-hmm. they just give you lyrics and a melody mm-hmm. and chords so you must be a super fast uh, read on music because you seem to, it seems like you know how to play everything. There's not a single reference from a movie or a TV show or a classical piece that I've ever heard anyone make on stage that you didn't immediately seamlessly incorporate into the show. Oh, I've gotten stumped. Yeah, I really? Think, uh, <laughs> somebody said, my mother's a car once, and I was like, ah, I remember. 
kind of remember it, but no. I don't wasn't. think anybody in the world <laughs> would would have questioned anything he chose to play at yeah. that moment. That, yeah, uh, um, uh, do you just have an amazing... Have you spent a lifetime practicing that, or are you an instant read on music? A lot of TV watching. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Can, uh, is it, if you hear a new theme on television, would you be able to go sit down and play that immediately? Uh, yeah, mostly. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, um, um, okay, so so going back for a sec. So so you traveled for a while, and then uh, you got married, and life on the road became less pleasant. That's about the time that you hooked up with Chicago City Limits? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So Chicago City Limits, what year is this? Is it early 80s? Uh, no, it was uh, 90, 95, oh, okay. I think. Okay. Um, Chicago City Limits was... Uh, around way before the improv boom happened in New York. Yeah. Uh, they were kind before of... Before UCB and... Yeah. Yeah. What was the scene like improvisationally before UCB came to town? How have things... Or how have you seen things uh, uh, mutate? Because you've really seen the entire culture of performance change in New York. Yeah. Well, nobody knew what long form was. Yeah. Un- uh, until UCB came around. Yeah. And uh, Chicago City Limits dabbled in long form i don't think they knew what it was you know mm-hmm. they would do a 15 20 minute musical which is long form mm-hmm. that was the end of their act one mm-hmm. uh you know which we kind of still with made up musical here at the magnet we sort of follow that uh that model yeah uh just an interview and then do the do the musical about that person yeah well, what is a Chicago second? Uh, I'm sorry, Chicago City Limit show. What did it look like? Uh, uh, like, what would an evening's performance be? Because I've attended a few performances, and it's very old school. It's, it is. It's very Absolutely. different from what people sketches. are generally used to. Yeah. Um, I think Second City used to do all their sketches first, and then do the improv mm-hmm. in the second half, something like that. Yeah. Um, this is all mixed. Yeah. Chicago City Limits is just mixed. Uh, they start off with a couple of improv scenes, uh, you know, a couple of games, you know, fill in the blanks kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, probably put a scene in, uh, you know, and they're all about their, their, oh, I say medium form, it's like seven minutes a scene or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, and they do a, a Jeopardy game and stuff like that. And then usually ended act one with a um, musical. Mm-hmm. Which is totally long form. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then the second act was more games and uh, and sketches. Yeah, all review style format. Yeah, and they did uh, parody songs too, mm-hmm. which and I enjoyed. Are you also underscoring during scenes when they're performing as well? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. In improv and in sketches, I have uh, I have a, a review from the New York Post from many years ago. Uh, and Chip is his name. I don't remember his last name. I just remember his, the reviewer's name was Chip. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got called Woody Allen. You know, you get called uh, Film Noir, and I played, you know, like jazz or whatever. And my my review was, uh, we got called uh, called out Woody Allen. So I he said, I grandly uh, offered up Rhapsody in Blue, mm-hmm. which, you know, I played three minutes of Rhapsody in Blue. to, to I, There was like no underscoring. I just played written music. Yeah. Um, and that's what he, you know, he brought up. Yeah. How many songs do you think you have locked away in your head? Uh, I don't know. Boy, I have, uh, I have a 
lot of songs locked away in my computer and and uh, shelves of it in in my apartment. Yeah. Oh, thousands. My God, there's there's one. There's a, a, a fake book I have with twelve hundred songs, and I'm like, I can't bring that. I I just you know I know them all anyway. Yeah. So and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So that's unbelievable. It's amazing. It, it, like it's hard for me to conceive uh, um, what it must feel like to be so good at something that you'd be able to just instantly translate a thought through your fingers onto that keyboard. And yeah, I mean, how many instruments do you play? Um, yeah, a bunch. Yeah, Enough you know. to grab a bass if a bass player misses a cruise ship. And, oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. With the band. Yeah, I was reading. Uh, yeah, I was reading in the seven, seven four and seven eight. That was kind of fun. Yeah, with all the Greek dances and. That was pretty cool. Do you ever lose that sense of of playing around with stuff? Like, is it still? Does it still feel like play to you, or has it kind of over time become just the work that you do or the thing that you do? It did recently, and it was kind of I, I don't know, recently, maybe last year, sometime. I was like, I don't want to play piano tonight. Yeah, I am just going to play drums. Yeah, and I did. And, uh, like three people came up to me like later on and said, Oh, I'm, I recognize you. You're the drummer for that, uh, you know, that, that group at, uh, Magnet. And I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> Somebody who hasn't seen you before. <laughs> they said, Oh, you did a great job. I was like, yeah, I play drums all night. <laughs> That's got to be sort of a nice feeling of like anonymity for you too. Yeah. 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 A little like, uh, the Bachman books. Yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. What stimulates you these days playing musically? What what keeps you excited? Um, yeah, boy, you know what? I, it's very simple. I always listen to people, and that inspires me to to go on to play music or to you know to put a little reference or a joke in or something like that. Um, or to if if they're not doing that, if they're doing a serious song, and there are some people who do just amazing serious songs in um, in the megawatt teams, um, just playing a just a regular like ballad that says something beautiful, and and you know, finish it, and the notes trail off, and you know we've done phrasing together, and it's so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really rewarding. And uh, you know, I hope rewarding for the audience too, because you know, you don't, you can't always tell. Yeah, they're not laughing or they're not whatever. But I was like, yeah, there's there's something in the room that uh, it's palpable. I yeah. think. Yeah. I, I those are the best shows to me when when musical or otherwise, where you just kind of uh, uh, you do something that your standard to 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 register whether you succeeded or not is not now based on people laughed or they didn't laugh. And if mm-hmm. they laughed, you succeeded. And if they uh, didn't laugh, you failed. Yeah, yeah, but I you kind of create an experience that moves people in a way that kind of silences the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone is just sort of like invited to to be moved in their own way by it or to have their own experience for it or to draw their own of kind course. of conclusion mm-hmm. from it. That, to me, when you can accomplish that, is sort of about the best that you can do. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. You've seen a ton of of legit theater. I hate that phrase, but mm-hmm. that's the phrase. And and you've seen probably about as much improv as anybody. Uh, um, when they both work really well, do you find that they're 
touching on something very similar or do you find that they still remain in sort of uh different places oh music improv and improv yeah or or no no musical improv or improv versus like uh scripted theater good like worked out theater like when an audience has moved and when people have had a genuinely affecting experience do you find that those two scripted theater and improvised theater sort of overlap in a nice way or or are they yeah, I've seen them overlap, and I was like, oh, this is cool. You're really, uh, you know, paying homage to music theater. And yeah. I've also seen something new grow out of it. Yeah. Um, just in strictly musical term, I don't know how many people will get this, but uh, when Chick Corea, who was a piano player, started playing electric piano, I was like, oh, it's cool. You know, he, it's just a different sound and blah, blah, blah. He started playing it a lot, and then it grew into a into a different way, a different sound, a different way of playing. Uh, so he made that instrument its own instrument mm-hmm. rather than uh, uh, just trying to copy a piano. Oh yeah, with a you know a prettier sound or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it does when you when you meld something like that, it grows and, and becomes something different. Yeah. So yeah, I do I do understand that, but I think you gotta make sure that you, you do pay homage to music theater first. And then, then that gives it a chance to grow. Yeah. Otherwise you're just, I don't know. I don't know what you would just call that. Uh, it's just, it's coming out of left field. Yeah. You know, it doesn't come from anywhere. Yeah. You, you're, you've been right there at the beginning. I mean, musical improv has really boomed in the last, handful of years all across the city mm-hmm. elsewhere in the country you're seeing more and more musical programs developing and you've been at the core of it at every theater um i've tried yeah i know that i mean there's no doubt about it yeah. you know you're the you're the man uh um um do you have a sense of like a goal with it like i don't like the question of what's the future but but paying homage to to broadway Mm-hmm. Uh, um, is the idea to sort of get really close to being able to just spontaneously create Broadway caliber shows or or a reasonable facsimile? Uh, um, like what to you? What's what's the standard that you watch things by? What's the standard that when it's hit, you're you're saying that that's that's what we're aiming for? Um, yeah, again, I may be more old school on this than uh, a lot of people, but. If I see a scene, I was like, and I'm like, oh, this is a Candor and Ebb scene. And they're doing it, not realizing that, but thinking they're doing something new. I always bring it up Mm -hmm. at the end. I was like, you know, you weren't really doing anything new. And I'd rather see you go to that Candor and Ebb style scene Mm -hmm. or whatever scene it happened to be. Uh, You can't do anything new unless you realize where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're you're like, oh yeah, this is brand new and nobody's ever done it before. I was like, no, no. Yeah. What would you recommend for people? Because I think a lot of people, um, and I apologize if this is sort of a generalization. It definitely is a generalization, but I think a lot of people come to come to improv in general for there's just that immediacy and that high. You get Mm -hmm. that laugh. You have that feeling of being in the moment. I think a lot of people come to musical improv for very similar reasons, and along with that, there's there's you get to be very expressive and very big. Yep. So there's probably quite a number of people who actually don't 
have much of a historical perspective on stuff. What would you recommend? What would be sort of just like a basic list of recommendations for people to educate themselves musically and, and theatrically to be better prepared to be creating these shows? What, what to you are, what are the, the real important ones that everyone should be knowing? Um, yeah, I would reserve some time for later on because that's more advanced kind of stuff. But uh, let me see, Rogers and Hammerstein. Uh, you know, you see how silly it is, and that's what they did back then. Uh, you know, some of the rock musicals, rock operas, all that kind of stuff. You know, we we did um, a level four here, which was more of a, uh, a stylized thing. We did. Uh, Roger and Hammerstein. We did uh, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber style rock opera. Mm. Uh, we did Candor and Ebb. Uh, you know, among other things, we tried to just do different different styles. Um, and that helped a lot. I see a lot of people still using that to today. Yeah, it's like oh, they they catch what that is. Yeah, and uh, the rock opera thing is really big now within the music. Uh, improv world yeah people want to do rock operas and, and operas in general mm-hmm. uh, yeah I just did an opera the other night yeah and, uh, and Lisa Flanagan from here is doing a one woman opera which is amazing just ridiculous yeah yeah and she's uh, uh, someone a really great example of not only a, a great singer but a very curious knowledgeable well informed performer mm-hmm. she knows just a ton about the history of opera and the history of music, and she knows exactly oh, yeah. where she's coming from and yep. what she wants it to be. Yeah, it. it um, she's doing a lot of exploration within very well defined. Yeah, limits. If there were, this is I know idiotic, but if there were three shows that you would recommend, people absolutely have to see. Okay, trying to nail me down. Let's see. Uh... Or maybe what are the ones that you find yourself coming back to? Um, boy, lately, uh, uh, Pippin mm. was, I just saw, and they, they finally got that show right. I've done it before uh, and seen it before. I was like, nope, now they finally got it right. They, they have just a good balance of, uh, of Bob Fosse's choreography and Stephen Schwartz's music. Mm. Uh, that wasn't made fun of, in, like in the original. It yeah. was like, oh, we're singing a serious song, but no, we're just kidding. Yeah. Every every scene had kind of that feel to it. Yeah. You know, rivers belong where they can ramble. Blah blah blah. I was like, uh, well, no. Yeah. We're wrong. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Pippin. Um, of course, lines a good one too. I mean, those were the earlier shows I did. Yeah. Uh, and I've done like nine, nine tours of Chorus Line, among other like sit-down shows and worked with many, uh, many of the original people in it. It was like, you know, it's just in your bones. Well, Chorus so, Line is great, too, because yeah. it's a good example of like, it doesn't have to be like a plot-driven story. Right. It's just everybody has their own simple story that they care about and are passionate about. Right. It's more like uh, assassins, and yeah. that it's you know a thematic mini stories about yeah. a certain thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then uh, you gotta you gotta include Sondheim. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, any Sondheim at all? Into the Woods. I've done uh, Sweeney Todd. 
uh, and company. Boy, company is a great one too. Yeah. When he sings "Being Alive" at the end, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, I guess, for, like going back for a second to Pippin and to kind of like half seriously singing a song and then pulling out of it. it, it that just, was not Stephen Schwartz's idea, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I. There's too much of a sense of like irony for a lot of people when it comes to doing it. Just having that constant wink of the eye that like we don't really mean what we're saying. Whereas yeah, like so many of the song, like almost everyone. Yeah, does that. yeah, uh, and, and it actually gets for me annoying after a little while. Yeah. It, it because a people taking themselves very seriously mm-hmm. is very funny, mm-hmm. but when you don't really have any ground to stand on you don't mean any of it yeah uh, uh we don't get to see what's funny about you we just get to see sort of desperately grasping at ideas that's what uh, i used to teach uh, yeah. sixth and seventh graders and that's what they do yeah you know they would say the honest thing and then go oh just kidding yes don't yeah. mean because it's a super vulnerable thing to put yeah. yourself in that place yeah yeah uh, but it's also seeing a story really be told simply and clearly I think it's impossible to tell a good story if you're not playing it with sincerity. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean you have to be serious about about no, it. No, no, not at all. But sincerity, you have to you have to the premise of it, you have to believe that premise. And just seeing that pulled off uh in a scripted format, but seeing people be able to spontaneously find order out of this mm-hmm. to come together to create something that's whole and complete and and pays off gets yep. to an end point it's just why not leave the audience feeling really satisfied instead of really frustrated yeah yeah you would think yeah yeah it, it got to be a little uh, with pippin it, before it got to be a little too hoity-toity it was yeah. like no 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 you know we got you again we got you again we got you again yeah and now we're really serious at the end yeah but by then I'm like, no, I'm I'm done. Yeah, right. Who cares? Right. Yeah. You you have to lead us throughout the entire journey and not just try to give us like a little message or something. At the yeah. End. Oh, this latest production is so good. Yeah. Oh my god. Frank Spitzengel, thank you for talking to me. Oh, any pleasure. This has been the <laughs> Magnet Podcast. Uh, uh, I'm Lewis Cornfeld. Thank you guys so much for listening. A couple of other big thanks uh, to Willie Appleman and, as always, to Grant Goldberg, our engineer. Uh, to find out more about who we are and what we do, please check us out online. Magnettheater.com is the website for information on classes and shows. Uh, Frank, where can people find out stuff about you if they want to look you up? Um, probably on the Magnet website, and uh, I'm also on the Pit. Uh, I teach some classes there, and uh, I guess that's it. There you go. Check it out. Use them search engines, people. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Take it easy. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. 